Hello everyone and welcome to State and Revolution Chapter 1, uh, our second book talk on the Midwestern Marks channel. Uh, just finished the summary, um, an analysis of Vladimir Lenin's imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. And this book's going to build off some of the concepts in that, um, but it's also its own book and super relevant today. Um, Lenin's going to lay out the theoretical and practical question of what to do with the state. Um, and what does Marx say about this? What does Engels say about this? Um, and the reason he says this is a practical question is because the time this is being written, 1917, there's a re revolution going on, the Russian Revolution, which Lenin is leading. So he says, we need to look at what Marx and Engels say about what to do with the state. And he's going to say, we need to look at what happened with the Paris Commune. Um, in the 1870s, I think, um, he uses, he analyzes what happened there, why the Paris Commune failed, um, and why the bourgeoisie was able to crush it, and um, uses that in his analysis of what needs to be done in order to have a revolution that doesn't fail, it doesn't get crushed by the bourgeoisie. Um, so at this time, also, the World War One's going on, it, and in the preface, Lenin's going to say that World War One, which he call, we call World War One, he calls the imperialist war, accelerated the transformation of monopoly capitalism into state monopoly capitalism. So we talked about monopolies and finance capital in the imperialism reading guide. Um, now the, the finance capitalists, the monopolies, the cartels, these trusts, um, huge organizations of industrial capitalists um, and bankers are, are becoming closer tied to the state. And that's what leads us into World War I, right? The, the fight for the division of the global south, you know, who can acquire the most territories and even um, in the east some. It's a, it's a war that every country, every imperialist power gets dragged into because the finance capitalists now have control of the states, the governments in, in these countries, um, and it, it drags everybody into a war. Um, and he's saying that this is a, a symptom of capitalism and a development of capitalism. Um, and he's saying state repression is increasing. And the state is tying closer and closer to capitalist combines, like we just said. Um, and yeah, so he's going to talk to about what needs to be done with the state apparatus. And his general theory, or his, his basic theory, is that right now there's a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. These finance capitalists, these st uh, wealthy stockholders, completely control the government. Exactly what like what's going on in the U.S. In the U.S., we have wealthy Raytheon, Boeing, weapons manufacturing stockholders literally in the government. Trump had like six people running the State Department. They were all executives at weapons manufacturing companies. So the, Lenin's saying, these people dominate what the government does, and in order to reverse that, the workers need to destroy the state as it currently exists and use state power um, for the revolution. So we'll get more in depth about what that means here um, in the rest of chapter one. But that's the end of the preface. So in chapter one here, or I think at the end of the preface, maybe Lenin says something like, as the state increasingly sends people to war, it becomes increasingly important to understand the state. Um, so you have like the libertarian ideology right now in America, and it's, I think it forms because our state apparatus, our government is so controlled by the bourgeoisie, and it's so massively bloated the military budget and so tied to these corporations and the military industrial complex that people just look at the government and say, we need to abolish that. Uh, but Lenin's going to take a much more practical view here, right? We can't just get rid of the state overnight. The state needs to be used. These special bodies of armed men that he calls them need to be used. Um, so he's going to start here and he's going to say, the state is a product of irreconcilable class antagonisms. That's the, the um, title of the first section of chapter one here. 
Um, so he's going to say the bourgeoisie hates Marxist theories for obvious reasons. So obviously the bourgeoisie is going to put out propaganda against Marx and say Marxist theories are stupid and, and bullcrap because they don't want to lose their wealth. Marxist theories say the working class should take all the wealth from the bourgeoisie. So of course the bourgeoisie is going to hate it. Um, so at this revolutionary time that Lenin's living through, where Marxism is spreading quickly and there's a revolution in Russia, what they're trying to do is blunt the edge of Marxism. So they're taking Marx's teaching, teachings and kind of distorting them. Different from what we have today in the West, where they just teach you Marx was evil, everything he, he wrote was wrong. Back then, they were just trying to blunt the edge of Marx's teachings, saying uh, Marx didn't necessarily want you to seize state power and use the state to uh, to take all the wealth and the, and the assets from the bourgeoisie and give them to the workers. You know, he just wanted to, to take steps in that direction. You know, um, he didn't want to end all the wars immediately. Right. Um, that's what a lot of people are saying. And Lenin's going to say these people aren't Marxist. They're distorting Marxism. And we need to go back to what Marx and Engels actually wrote and apply those theories practically. Um, with our with our revolution here <laughs> so he's he brings up the national german marx party or something like that in germany it's this he's saying they're they're leaning towards social chauvinism so they're calling themselves a marxist party and then they're being nationalists right they're like we're marxist but we want germany to win the war and take over the world um and you saw obviously what that evolved to in germany with the german workers party the nazi party um and that happens from time to time where a party will claim marxism and they're really just a nationalistic uh violent group uh the one that comes to mind is paul pot and the Khmer rouge so um lenin's lenin's arguing against that here he's saying you're being social chauvinist which is against the teachings of marx um and he says it's going to be really important here to heavily quote from marx and engels so we don't distort what they're writing and he goes as far as to say um even we can't even trust the translators the people who translated it from the original german so lenin um because he's one of the smartest people to ever live uh, goes and reads it in the in the original German and, and then translates it himself um, into Russian for this book. Um, and he says that's so that they can come through undistorted. And he says it might be a little boring to quote Marx and Engels at such length because he's writing this for the workers. Uh, but it's important so the reader can make their own opinion of what Marx and Engels said. Um, so I'm going to read, I'm actually going to read the, the first quote he uses from Engels here. It is from... Uh, the Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State, one of Engels' most famous works, um, where he's kind of tracing how certain things um, evolved over time. He goes way back to study, like, uh, tribal societies, and he says, like, you know, they didn't have governments, they didn't have classes, this is how they lived, and this is how class society and the, the things within class society evolved and came to be over time. So he says in that book, the state is therefore by no means a power imposed on society from the outside, just as little as it is the reality of the moral idea, the image and reality of reason, as Hegel asserted. So he's critiquing Hegel, the idealist. Rather, it is a product of society at a certain stage of development. It is the omission that this society has been entangled in an insoluble contradiction with itself, and that it is cleft into irreconcilable antagonisms which it is powerless to dispel. But in order that these antagonisms, classes with conflicting economic interests, may not consume themselves and society in sterile struggle, a power apparently standing above society becomes necessary, whose purpose is to moderate the conflict and keep it within the bounds of order. 
And this power arising out of society, but placing itself above it and increasingly separating itself from it is the state. So that's what Engels says the state is. What does that mean? The state places itself above society, but it doesn't come from above society. Like we were saying earlier, tribal societies, gentilic society, they didn't have a state. Um, but then, you know, you could think of feudalism with the feudal lords. That was like a state. And who does the state serve? The nobility, the rich. Um, and, and that's to, they serve the expansion of the rich, but also as a peasant, you need to work for the nobility, for the state in order for them to protect you. Um, and, and he's going to say, so there's no state that even emerges until you have these class antagonisms. So in capitalism, if the, if the proletariat were to arm themselves and fight in their own self-interest, their own self-interest would be destroying the bourgeoisie. If the bourgeoisie were to do what's in their self-interest, um, they would eventually make the proletariat's wages and lives so crappy that the proletariat would revolt and overthrow the bourgeoisie. So you need a state to mediate this class conflict, okay? But it doesn't necessarily serve to mediate the class conflict. In some ways, it serves to um, continue the established order, but also to oppress one class and, and keep one class in their place. Um, so Lenin's going to say here, the existence of the state proves that the classes are irreconcilable. Like I just said, the fact that a state even needs to exist proves that the classes can't live in harmony together without a third party existing above society to keep, you know, the, the, mass, the masses who work for the bourgeoisie in check to make sure that they stay in their place and keep giving their labor every day to make sure that capital keeps expanding. Uh, so bourgeois academics say that this must mean the state itself reconciles the classes. So, you know, like social democrat academics, like, oh, we have a state, so everything works, right? The state can keep a check on capitalism. But Marx says the state wouldn't maintain itself if the reconciliation were possible. So if it was possible for these classes to live in harmony, you wouldn't need a state in the first place, like we saw with tribal and, and gentilic society way back before classes emerged and before we needed a state um, to maintain these classes. Marx says the state creates order by legalizing oppression and moderating the collision between classes. You can think of like in Augusto Pinochet's Chile, where they made it illegal to torture and kill leftists because leftists were taking over the government and they were going to impose Marxism. That doesn't work. That, that, um, that <laughs> doesn't continue uh, the classes. It doesn't keep the proletariat in their place and the bourgeoisie in their place. So they needed to murder leftists. They legalized a way to keep order. Um, it's not, Marx says, it's not a conciliator of the classes, but an organ, organ of domination by one class over another. Um, in America, really easy way to think of this. We know the police serve the bourgeoisie. The, the point I always make is there's 92% um, of cases don't even see trial. So it's these minor crimes that people are being sent to the for-profit prison industry for. And of course, telecom companies make tons of money off the prisons when you need to use the phone. Um, they pay prison laborers less than a dollar an hour, which is, you know, as close to slavery as you can get, especially when we know how racist the justice system is. But then when Jeffrey Epstein gets caught having a giant um, pedophile ring in 2008, Jim Acosta let him off. Why? Because the rich and powerful stick together and because the justice system the, is part of the state, which is an organ um, to suppress the proletariat and, and maintain the bourgeoisie. You know, it's not really there to keep justice. That's a fraud. 
Another thing the state does pretty frequently now to maintain the system, but another example that it's a, um, an organ to maintain, or not to maintain it, to oppress one class over another, is the corporate bailouts we see every time the economy crashes. 2001, the dot-com crash, 2008, the financial crisis, and now the COVID pandemic. Each time the, the government has just started printing out money or, you know, making up money and just handing it over um, in, in bailouts to corporate America to maintain the system. If the system crashed, tons of people would be unemployed, you know, um, nobody would be able to buy anything, and then you would likely have a revolt. But you need the state to continue uh, keeping corporate America alive so that nobody... Um, tears down the system <laughs> but at the same time then you have corporations um, who are leaving with all this wealth and they're all too big to fail um, and then you have insane levels of wealth inequality like we're seeing in this system so i'm giving you how this is going on in america or in the west but of course lenin is going to describe what's going on in russia um, and he says social democrats the mensheviks are arguing reconciliation theory and Bolsheviks are arguing that the bourgeoisie must be abolished, not reconciled. So the Mensheviks are like social democrats. So they had a revolution, uh, got rid of the czarist Russia, and the Mensheviks are saying we should go to social democracy. Don't nationalize everything. Don't take all the assets of the ruling classes into our hands right away. And the Bolsheviks are saying, no, that's not Marxism. We need to transform this country into socialism which is eventually the ideology that won out, uh, partially because Lenin was an absolute beast and he got all the industrial workers and the soldiers, or a lot of the soldiers on his side. So Le Lenin says that the liberation of oppressed people re will require violent revolution and destruction of the oppressive state apparatus. So I would question, especially now, the need for violence. Um, and even Marx said in a speech, not a lot of people know this, but America's industry is so big, if we got enough of the workers on our side, we could just shut down the whole country, you know, and they could demand whatever they want. Um, but there are other ways to go about revolution. And even the Russian Revolution, when they actually took power, wasn't that violent. You know, the counter-revolution and the Civil War was, and then it was violent when they were invaded by the Nazis, and the Cold War was violent when they were... Um, fighting all these proxy wars with the U.S., but they mostly had all the workers and the military on their side, so they just kind of kicked the czar out with, without much shooting, you know. All you really need is to get all the workers on your side. It doesn't need to be like the Cuban Revolution where you're fighting a guerrilla war in the Sierra Maestra, right? <laughs> but Lenin's going to say you do need to take state power, right? You need to take the government, have workers seize the government so you can stop the oppressive functions of the government and then use the government to nationalize major industry and give it to the workers. So that's the end of part one of chapter one so part two of chapter chapter one here which is split into four parts is called special bodies of armed men prisons etc so he's going to talk about uh, how the state forms these special bodies of armed men which exist above society in order to oppress one class and keep one class dominant um, so this is obviously super relevant today. The U.S. justice system is out of control. It's not a justice system. It's a system which oppresses people, um, uh, primarily people of color, um, but just poor people in general also. Like I said, 92% of cases don't even see trial. Um, this and, and the prison, prison uh, industry has become super profitable for all these companies, right? So Lenin's going to say that long struggle caused the gentilic and tribal societies to die out and people begin grouping themselves on a territorial basis. So like, we live here, this is our territory. Um, and he's going to say a public force is established, which is no longer identical to the population, organizing itself as an armed power. 
there can no longer be an armed force which represents society as a whole, like tribal armies had, because the society is cleaved into separate classes. So like I was explaining earlier, um, now that society has multiple classes with multiple different economic interests rather than just being one tribe, you can't have an armed body that represents all of society's, all of society's interests because their interests are so different. They have um, inherently contradictory and antagonistic interests. Um, so he says, public force as well as prisons um, didn't exist in Gentilic society. They only came to exist under, uh, under class society. Their public forces in, in tribal society were just armies that fought, you know, like they armed themselves and protected the tribe from, from other tribes or from, you know, animals or, or whatever else. Um, so he calls these special bodies of armed men, and they have things like prisons at their disposal. Um, and I already explained how crappy the U.S. prison system is. Um, but then you have the police who enforce those systems, right? And you get, there are tons of special bodies of armed men you can think about with uh, Western countries in the U.S., CIA, FBI, um, the police, uh, special forces, military, of course, um, all these different things we use to oppress people internationally um, as well as here domestically. Um, so state po uh, Lenin says state powers aren't um, identical to the society, but they exist above it, okay? So they don't do anything people actually want, right? Nobody sees a police officer and thinks, wow, I'm glad they're there to protect me. They think, oh, geez, I hope I wasn't speeding, right? These, these people exist above society, and, and I think that's part of why you've seen such a, a negative attitude come about with police officers, you know, where there's some heinous statistic where, like, over 20% of them beat their wife or something. Seriously, like they're all, um, they have been charged with domestic violence. Um, and I think that's a psychological effect of the fact that um, police officers and people with a badge exist above society, really not within society, right? They have this special power where you're not allowed to question them because they are allowed to use force on you legally. Um, and most people are used to this because they've never seen anything different, is what Lenin says. So they just, you know, submit to this authority. Um, and he says, if classes arm themselves in a self-acting manner, they would go to war, which is technically what, you know, he wants to do. He wants to have a revolution. He wants the proletariat to arm themselves against these oppressive classes. Um, and Lenin says that the oppressed class must, sh must shatter the state and create art. Ar create armed bodies who serve them. So the proletariat needs to take the state and say, we have a people's army now. And, and you know what, police, instead of arresting people for nonviolent drug offenses, why don't you go arrest all the Wall Street criminals? Why don't you go arrest all the people like Jeffrey Epstein who have been getting away with pedophilia for years? Um, why don't you do what's in the interest of the proletariat, uh, not oppress the proletariat and serve the bourgeoisie and maintain the system? Um, and Lenin also says that the power of the state grows stronger as the class antagonisms increase, which is so true. Um, and the best way I can think about this is the U.S. presence in Latin America and the Middle East. As socialism grows and grows and grows in those areas, and you could use Africa too, mostly that was Europe um, oppressing Africa, but the U.S. helped out as well. Um, the U.S. got more and more violent. And the CIA got more and more funding and the military budget's gone up and up and up and up in order to keep a boot on the proletariat of the global south. So you see the state increase its power and it's even increased its power domestically, right? Now we have the largest prison system in the world. 24% of the world's prisoners are in the United States. So, so the state continues to grow in power as wealth inequality and our, and our antagonisms increase themselves, uh, just as Lenin predicted. Um, so yeah, that's the end of, of part two. Let's talk about part three next.
Oh, and I forgot to mention about part three. Um, in Lenin's time, he argued that the World War I was proof that as antagonisms increase, the state power um, gets more and more oppressive and above society. So I used a relevant example, and he used a relevant example at his time, a contemporary example, I guess. Um, so part three is called the state as an instrument for the exploitation of the oppressed class. So in order to maintain the state apparatus, taxes and loans are needed. So obviously taxes in the U.S. for working people are pretty high. And I was talking about the libertarian example or libertarian ideology earlier and how it's really popular. People just hate the government. And this is because the government, as Lenin predicted, is so far above society at this point and collects a lot of taxes um, from you to maintain its empire. Um, and where, you know, we have more debt in circulation than actual money. So they need taxes and loans to maintain themselves. Um, and Lenin says that collecting taxes places the public power even further above society, right? So now they're saying you need to pay us in order to keep you safe, right? Um, and you just need to trust that we're going to do that. Or, or, you know, they tell us we have democracy, but we all know that's a sham. Um, so special laws are enacted to protect officials. Um, so Lenin says the shabbiest police servant has more authority um, than the representative of the Klan. Um, so like you could say, uh, you know, all the union busting that goes on now. There was just another example of that where police were breaking up unions. You know, the shabbiest police officer, a police officer who's done nothing, you know, who's never contributed much to society, um, who has a badge, has more power than a union leader who might be a representative of, you know, many working people whose labor makes the economy run and makes the country go. Um, it's a privileged position to the officials as organs of state power. Lenin talks about that. And I've talked about the psychological effect and the corrupting effect that I think that has on a lot of police officers. Um, and, and also you saw in India, I want to point this out, the far right Modi government, there were the largest farmer strikes um, I think it was in history recently. I don't know, huge farmer strikes and they were water canning them, putting them down. You know, I've seen people saying um, it, it didn't happen. There were no farmer strikes trying to cover it up. So just another uh, example of the state as an instrument of, of class, class uh, exploitation and oppression. That's the word I was thinking of. So what places the state above society? Lenin says this is answered by the commune in 1971. Um, and I, I made a note here, Lenin bases a lot off the Paris Commune in 1971, but we have so many socialist experiments now we can look back on. Lenin had none other than the Paris Commune. Like there's so much we can learn, uh, you know, and add to our theories of how to, how to build socialism. But he, Lenin says, as the state arises to hold class conflict in check, it becomes a state of the most powerful economic class, which therefore becomes dominant politically and acquires new means for holding down and exploiting the oppressed class. So we've seen this, of course, I was talking about how corrupt everyone in the West knows how corrupt our governments are, basically anyone who's paying attention. In the U.S., 93% of elections are decided by who raises the most money. The dominant economic class, the bourgeoisie, controls the state. And, and there's been times in America where, you know, we had the labor movements, the strikes in the 40s and the early 1900s. Um, that that got all these protections for workers you know uh, through the state we have medicare um, social security things like that and there was the new deal through the state um there's been times where labor demands things of the state but uh right now after 40 years of neoliberalism after ronald reagan in the u.s and margaret thatcher in the uk um the the dominant economic class is the bourgeoisie they have so much power and they so completely and totally run the state department um 
So Lenin's going to talk about feudal society. He's going to say the feudal state suppressed slaves and serfs. But the modern state is an instrument for the exploitation of wage labor. So rather than controlling peasants and serfs, it controls wage laborers. Um, that's what the state does. Uh, busts their unions. Um, makes people pay taxes. I don't know. Whatever. All the stuff the state does to keep you in line. Arrests you um, if you if you do anything uh, minor. Have a have a nonviolent. Yeah, nonviolent drug offenses, arrest people for stuff like that. Um, it's the exploitation of people who do wage labor. It's not the exploitation of the rich and powerful. Trump just pardoned Lil Wayne. And I like Lil Wayne, but it's just such a perfect example of this. The state just protects rich people. You just pardon him because it's Lil Wayne. Whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy Lil Wayne's free, I guess. He shouldn't be in jail. But regardless. Um, so Lenin says there are times when the warring classes nearly attain equilibrium. So like I was talking about U.S. labor movement, you have the IG Metal Union in Germany right now. So the Communist Party in Germany is banned, so you're not allowed to talk about overthrowing the bourgeoisie. But they have a union of like 2.2 million people who are demanding things like shorter work week. Um, so there are times when the state seems to mediate the classes. Um, and Lenin says in, uh, in a democratic republic... Wealth wields its power indirectly, but all the more effectively um, through direct co corruption of officials um, and an alliance between the stock exchange and the state. And he uses France and the USA as an example in his time. And of course, we see the alliance between um, corporate America and the state today. Um, and he says in a democratic republic and liberal democracy, when they tell you, you know, oh, you're choosing what's happening, right? If you go to the voting booth and you vote once every four years, you have a say in what's going on in the country. Lenin says this is just a shell for imperialist capitalism, right? It's the, it's the facade of choice. And it's a really good shell for tricking people um, into never demanding that we destroy capitalism. Um, Lenin says imperialism and domination of the banks developed as a method for protecting and expanding wealth. Um, and if you want to hear more about that, go look at our imperialism reading guide. He explains that in eight chapters of brilliance. So uh, Lenin brings up a guy named Pelchinsky who blocked an effort to stop the profiteering of capitalists um, by plundering the treasury via war contracts after he got a cushy job um, with the capitalists making $120,000 a year. So here Lenin's talking about the revolving door. Um, this happens all the time. There's been whole books written about the revolving door between the US and the military industrial complex. You go work for the Pentagon a bit, go work for Raytheon a bit, go work for the State Department a bit, hop over with the CIA, go work for some human rights NGO. You know, um, They revolve people between these positions of power and it's because these positions of power are still close. State monopolies are tied to private monopolies as, as he was saying. Um, it's called the revolving door. Um, the omnipotent, Lenin says, the omnipotent, um, <laughs> omnipotence, that's a tough word, of wealth is more secure in a democratic republic. It is the best political shell for capitalism. It establishes power so securely, no change of person or party changes anything. Ah, what does that sound like? <laughs> so the United States, and you could say the UK too, but especially the United States, literally voting does nothing. Joe Biden, nothing is going to change the next four years. You have the illusion of choice and people fight over nonsense. You know, they fight over which, which president is the most attractive or what the president wore that day or whatever, these dumb things. Meanwhile, nothing about our system ever changes. And, and Lenin said that was going to happen because liberal democracy is nothing but a shell for for capitalism, which is a terrible system. 
Um, Engels says universal suffrage, so everyone getting voting rights, shows the maturity of the working class, but little else. So giving everybody the option to vote, you know, allowing women to vote is not going to be enough to change liberal democracy, because liberal democracy is nothing but a shell for capitalism, like we said, a horrendous system. So that's the end of chapter, er, I'm sorry, part three of chapter one. So part four, part, part four, so part four of chapter one is the withering of the state. So Lenin's going to make this prediction that after the proletariat takes power and annihilates the bourgeois class, we'll no longer have a need for a state and the state will wither away. And people say this is wrong because the USSR had a big state, but what, as we've said before, Lenin only got the experience of the Paris Commune. He had no idea that the USSR after the revolution would be invaded seven times. Um, he had no idea the Cold War was going to happen. He had no idea Operation Condor was going to happen in Latin America. He had no idea how hard the forces of capitalism were going to crack down on socialist experiments. So for the state to wither away, you're going to need, you know, the majority of the world to, to be looking to build socialism, you know, and build a humanitarian, you know, pro-human, pro-pro, yeah, pro-human development society rather than a pro-profit, pro capital society. Um, but Lenin is going to say, um, people often misquote Engels on, on the withering of the state. Uh, so he's going to quote Engels here and he says, the proletariat seizes state power and transforms the means of production into state property, meaning nationalization, nationalization of industry. Um, it puts an end to itself as the proletariat then, um, which is obviously debatable, but, um, but uh, you could argue that at that point, once industry is nationalized, um, the proletariat has has power and they don't exist as a class anymore. So that happened in like the Soviet Union and early China. But now you see like China is a Marxist country, but they also have a private market with billionaires and, and capitalists who still exist. And they say they're going to phase out of that. Uh, but whatever. So not not necessarily after Marxist revolution um, does the proletariat and, and bourgeoisie cease to exist. So um, that's all I'm saying there. Um, where was I? Um, yeah, and I, I wrote here that uh, Lenin doesn't predict socialism in one country. So he doesn't, like I said, understand that co uh, countries who try and build socialism are going to be crushed by the U.S. and all the forces of capitalism. Um, so uh, Engels says, state is the visible representative of society as a whole. Um, uh, feudal times, states served the nobility, and now it serves the bourgeoisie. So we basically talked about this already, but it says, when the proles no longer need to be suppressed, you will no longer need the state, and the state will be replaced by an administrative government. So um, he's saying the state might still have functions, but it's no longer going to function as armed bodies of men existing above society. Again, this is debatable um, in, in Cuba and stuff. They still have police. But you could argue if there was if all the countries went to socialism, you know, and we all started working towards this collective development of humanity rather than, you know, developing and working are giving our labor for the profit of a few that eventually the state you know you wouldn't even need these armed bodies of armed men and they would wither away and the state would exist um for only administrative functions um and he says the state is withered not abolished and lenin makes this clear because Engels and lenin are obviously not anarchists they don't say abolish the state and move right to the society we want you need the state you need to wither away the state and, and take away its power slowly after it um, protects the revolution. 
Um, and like I said, he didn't predict socialism in one country. He didn't predict that, you know, the CIA would try and kill Fidel Castro like a hundred times, you know, and they would kill Che and they would murder thousands and thousands of Latin American leftists who tried to take their country in a socialist direction. So these states never really got the opportunity to wither, right? They have to defend their people from the United States. Otherwise, they'll just get massacred. Um, and, they ha and, he and a lot of them have made that mistake and they got massacred. Um, so withering is different than abolition, but that doesn't mean revolution isn't needed, Lenin says. The bourgeois state ends with proletarian revolution. The prole state is what withers. So you have the bourgeois state right now, the state controlled by the capitalists. Um, and when you have a revolution, you destroy that. Um, and then you have a proletarian state, what Lenin calls dictatorship of the proletariat. Uh, which you can then wither away. Like we said, haven't been able to wither away because they have to go into a state of siege socialism, protecting themselves from the outside. But theoretically, if every country were to seize state power and move themselves towards socialism, we would want to start withering those state apparatuses and trying to get to communism. So <laughs> Lenin says, for the first time, dictatorship of the proletariat must be established, a force to suppress the dominant class. Like I said, police, no more arresting people for nonviolent drug offenses. You're going to go arrest the Wall Street criminals. You're going to go arrest everyone who had ties to Epstein. Um, you're a force for the domination of the proletariat right now, not no, you know, the masses, the people, no longer this small um, group of ruling elites. Um, so Lenin says people distort Engels as an anarchist, but he's attack. Um, he says, er, sorry, he's attacking anarchists who he says distort Engels, saying that we should just abolish the state right away because Engels says wither the state. And he's also attacking opportunists. So he says German social democrats at the time um, were saying we need a people's free state. Um, and let, but with, it was a social democrat state, right? They're like, we need a people's free state that looks out for both classes. And Lenin's saying no class or no state that maintains capitalism can be a free state. No state that maintains the system of wage slavery can be a free state. Um, so yeah, I think that's all we need here. Um, that's, that's our recap of chapter one and, and our analysis and me trying to give relevant examples. Um, you can think what you want of it. You don't have to agree with everything. You know, theory um, is cool and it's fun to read, but obviously we need to adjust it for modern times. But I think this is really relevant. I really think we need to seize state power and nationalize most our industry. That's the step towards uh, socialism in the United States. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think in the comments. All right, peace everyone.